The Power Connect podcast is brought to you by Inawats. Discover the Inawats difference at Inawats.com. And one thing led to another. We started off with a very small scale. We we hosted like 32 kids from different areas in, in the Palm Beach County area. And I just fell in love with the whole concept. And I mean, as soon as that meet that that class was over, I'm like, Chrissy, we gotta we gotta double this and then we gotta triple this. And and it's funny because at that time we had a board that was nowhere near what this it was kind of a small community boards we didn't know what we were really getting into so i remember meeting with these individuals and they're like we don't think you should grow you should stay at 30 and then you know let's continue to refine it so i fired every one of them Welcome into the Power Connect Podcast. I'm your host, Fred Davis. Episode 52 of the program happening on a Thanksgiving Day Eve. Is everybody ready for some turkey, ham, all the fixins, whatever it is you include? And of course, we got our vegan friends out there that apparently there's a tofu turkey that's uh, available for you non meat eaters out there. So whatever you're into, Chinese food, Italian, I mean, look, it just depends on on what you're celebrating, what you're getting into, whatever it is you're doing on Thanksgiving Day. If you're working, if you're just hanging out with family, whatever it is, have a wonderful Thanksgiving Day. So let's get that out of the way first and foremost. All right, we've got a great episode today. Buck Martinez, former Florida Power and Light executive uh, for 35 years. And then, of course, he got into the nonprofit sector. And as I alluded to, and just from talking to Buck, might be more excited and or proud of the work he's done. Not to say that he hasn't done some incredible work over at Florida Power and Light, uh, ushering in kind of that renewable phase back before it was a thing to do. We'll talk to him about that. You'll hear more about that as the conversation goes on. But what he's doing with the Student Aces program in South Florida is nothing short of incredible. Look, anytime you're going to work with kids, that says a lot about you as a human being. And so what he's trying to do to empower the youngsters over in South Florida, get them ready for life after high school, and what he's doing to help them if they're not going to go to college, and a little bit of cross-pollination with the energy sector. A lot said for what Mr. Buck Martinez is doing over there in South Florida. So we'll get to that here in just a second. got to give a shout-out, as always, to Miss Jamie Levin for helping set that up. She's been an absolute tremendous supporter and connection here on the Power Connect. Go to jlevincommunications.com to find out more about Miss Jamie Levin. That's J communications.com. All right, let me tell you about my podcast partner while we're at it, too. InnoWatch. Look, I've been working with InnoWatch now for the last few months. Winter temps are here, folks. And of course, I don't care where you're at, it's been chilly. Winter temps are here, and of course, market volatility continues to wreak havoc while oil and gas prices remain high and supply is a major concern. So the question for retail energy providers is, how can I get my load forecast even tighter for the days and weeks ahead? And of course, utilities are thinking to themselves, how can we improve our demand forecasting and glean insights into how our customers are consuming energy? There is a way, and it's in Watts' award-winning energy data platform. Recognized for its demand forecasting accuracy, the platform is one of the most comprehensive and energy allowing clients to operate their forecasting, scheduling, settlement, and risk management processes all from one easy-to-use location that allows your organization to decarbonize while increasing profitability as well. Go to InnoWatts.com today to learn more about the InnoWatts difference and how it can work for you or follow InnoWatts 
on their LinkedIn page as well. All right, let's get down to it. Mr. Buck Martinez, former Florida Power and Light exec for 35 years. He's going to discuss how Florida Power and Light was ahead of the curve when it came to exploring renewables, why the culture included folks from outside the energy space, and how that made a huge difference for Florida Power and Light setting the tone early, why helping kids and having an outlet for Buck was important as he transitioned out of retirement, the challenges of running the ACES program, working with schools, working with boards, and of course, just being able to accommodate the growing demand for kids wanting to join this program, uh, how he's helping kids prepare for energy careers, some of the books he's written, he's got a new book coming out, and what's on the horizon next for Buck Martinez. Tremendous interview. Shout out to my boy Nico Johnson. He reached out to me uh, earlier this week and said that's a name I haven't heard in a while. So a lot of folks in the solar space, in the renewable space, Buck Martinez is a name you've heard of for quite some time. Again, one of the original pioneers, so to speak, when it comes from an executive level, from a utility perspective, on ushering in the renewable phase. So without further ado, please welcome to the program, Mr. Buck Martinez. What are utilities getting right when it comes to the energy transition and what can they do better? No, that's a great question. Look, FPL is probably one of the few that's still a vertically integrated utility. But, you know, we have a sister company that is bigger than FPL. And I remember being part of the initial plan when we started developing the, the strategy. At that time, it was called, F, we had a parent company called FPL Group, and then we started FP, you know, FPLs, kind of subsidiaries and all that. And that evolved to what now is called NEAR, which is Next Era Energy Resources. The parent company is NextEra. It's a $180 billion market cap company, right? So if we weren't getting it right, and, and I'll call I'll talk about what's right, we would not have been we would not have continued to be a a vertically integrated utility. Because that in the 90s, dating myself a little bit, you were already spinning off generation. So most of the utilities were required to spin off generation. They called them Genco's. And then because of the so-called incestuous relationship between distribution and generation, they were forced you to create a separately a separate entity, which was independently owned, called the Transco, right, with all the transmission system. Today, NextEra is one of the largest transmission energy companies in the world, too. So we they have a separate uh, transmission company. They've got a separate generation company. They're the, one of the largest renewable energy companies. They got over $10 billion in, in renewables. So the FPL side, you know, the focus has been really two or three components, right? First and foremost, if you truly believe that you, that energy is a commodity, then price has to win, right? So in the late 90s, the push for, for deregulation was that there was a black box and then the customer wouldn't really know where the black box was spitting out energy. So it didn't matter. That cost had to be king. FPO had, I think at that time, a, a, you know, I, I would say they were not competitive. So a big focus on that. We brought in an outside individual and he quickly implemented a lot of changes. So the, the formula had to be one, had to be low cost, two, had to be safe, and three, had to be reliable. FPL probably is the national leader on all three of those fronts. So that's what kept the politics out of the FPL, because even back when, with, when Jeb Bush was governor of Florida, he was pushing for a deregulated utility model. And I think the actions that FPL took to keep the rates as low as they were, I mean, our, our avoided cost spread uh, was like two pennies. In. So when solar was being introduced at $0.08 cents a watt, 
FPL was at 1.9 on natural gas and nuclear. So it was very hard. And then we were, we knew ultimately that we had to drive Gale into the renewable market to make it competitive. So we started pushing heavy on, you know, well, there's no wind and there's no wind resource in Florida. So it had to be solar. And when we first started, I actually developed the first three solar projects here in Florida. We were about, you know, seven cents a kilowatt, which is outrageous. Today, it's probably about 50 cents a, kilo, a, a watt. So it's it had to happen with scale. So the argument for utility being continuing to be the driving force in Florida had to be those three. I will tell you that part of the success of changing the dynamics of a slow-moving utility to a very innovative, fast-paced, dynamic decision-making company was that we we did a lot of what I would call cross-training. So we put the Nextera folks on the FPL side and FPL folks on the Nextera side. Yeah. So we, in essence, got rid of the 1990s utility-type individual executive. All of those got... Uh, you know, early retirements, they were forced packages, all that kind of stuff. So the the decision making that came in was from a non, you know, non-traditional, non-regulated marketplace. And that that perpetuated a lot of the the decision making. So it's really cool. The other thing that they did, the engineering, construction, and and all of the generation is not under the utility. So that is in essence spun off under the parent company. So it reports to both sides. So it has to it has to have a model that has to compete at the most competitive markets all over the country. So the utility model is the same as the non-utility model, if you get what I'm saying. So it's our supply chain does not report to you the utility separately. It reports to the parent company. So the supply chain, and we're talking about buying bazillions of dollars of turbines, transmission, distribution equipment, you know, big stuff. That is also under a kind of a deregulated model. So the thinking, and it was brilliant, you know, the guy who, there's there's been a few people that I give a lot of success to, but the past two chairmen and CEOs, one, a guy named Lou Hay, actually came from the food industry. And his whole business, he was an M&A guy. And brilliant mentality, brought in folks from Dean Consulting that were these heavy think tank guys, created all kinds of, non-traditional thinking. And then the guy who I would say led the incredible resurgence of the stock. I mean, the stock went from the 90s, which was at 29 bucks, it went to like basically 200 and some odd dollars, a four for one split. And that was Jim Robo. And Jim Robo was a GE guy who headed up GE Capital. So that mentality, so the utility had a lot of different evolutions. So it'd be in the 19... 80s, I would argue it was an engineering company. Then it became an operations company. Then it became a, for a very, very short lived time, a marketing company, then a financial company. And today it's strictly transactional. So a lot of the hires at FPL, I, and I say FPL, it's next era, a lot of bankers that now drive the company. So you got a lot of banking, investment managers, those kind of things. So the old traditional run the plants and keep the plants and all that today is optimize the value of the plant. So you're trading, you're optimizing, you're hedging. So it's really being done as a, as a basically as a commodity hedging company. When you think about how forward thinking 
this group was to start putting this in place and, and really positioning what you guys are doing now. What was the turning point or did you see this coming? I mean, what was kind of the, the aha moment for you or, or did you see these tailwinds happening? Uh, and what was kind of that moment where you said, okay, we're, we're, we're starting to move in the right direction when yeah, maybe, think, and, and real quick, because probably yeah. people thought you guys might've been a little crazy to be ahead of the curve the way you guys were. Oh, absolutely. I, I think there was a couple of aha moments, right? So the aha moment at the utilities was they would all copy each other, right? So there was surplus capital back in the late eighties. And a lot of the utilities took, they, they took that capital and did really kind of crazy stuff. They started buying all these international assets and eventually lost lots of money in those markets, right? The aha moment, I think, for us is when um, you, you in essence, had incentives for green energy being placed into areas like California, Texas, and whatever. And the aha moment was like, geez, you know, we're a utility in Florida, but maybe we do generation really well. Maybe we should be the provider of generation to all these utilities in California and other places. So as as regulations began to drive the market as opposed to energy policy, it was the regulatory climate was forcing, in essence, incentivizing the whole green energy deal through RECs. The the thinking at the next era was Gemini Crickets, let's let's capitalize as opposed to us being one of those utilities that wants to get out of the generation business, let's become the generation provider in all these other states. And then that became almost the mantra also for transmission. Because if you think about it, in Texas, for example, you had all this wind generation, right? So you were building all these wind projects everywhere, but the the load is so far removed from the wind site, who's going to build the transmission? So the utilities didn't want to have any part of building transmission. It's a, it's a big deal, right? And NextEra then became a transmission company in Texas, a regulated transmission company in Texas, and now the largest transmission company. So you, they began to see regulation that was, in essence, impacting maybe negatively the utility. They saw that as an opportunity to become the provider, the answer to the utilities in all these other states where the utilities were terrified of putting in more capital into the, into the infrastructure. So it's kind of it's kind of fa- I mean I I got to tell you I I I've always just admired the thinking the, the the brilliant people that came in and and changed this stuff was it's amazing because at, there was a time when the conventional wisdom was FPL was going to be nothing but another subsidiary of Southern Company so Southern owned Alabama Power and Light Georgia Power and Light Mississippi so it it was just another notch and then now FPL is so much so much bigger than Southern Company. You know, it's and that was, you know, back then the darlings were Duke and Southern Company and what have you. And then today you got next era is like a the darling of of the whole industry. You know, it's uh, it's been an amazing ride and and they and they've been able to keep their dividend uh record for for all those years too. Well, as somebody who former athlete and obviously uh an ambitious guy in your own right. What did you take away, both personally and professionally, when these executives from different walks of life, from different uh, disciplines, so to speak, and you know maybe guys and gals coming from totally different industries into the energy space now is almost the norm to a degree now. What what did you take away, and what were what were some of the biggest lessons you learned uh, along the way when these new when when this new blood came in and kind of steered you guys in that direction? It was for me. I was a young guy. I was. It was fascinating because I was watching the dynamics of this stuff, <laughs> and I was watching the pushback from the the executives at FPL from all these 
I'm in and these people don't know what they're doing. And then observing uh, the logic flow, the decision-making processes that were being implemented, going, these guys are brilliant. And this is where the bet is will be. So at that time, I, I was a young guy, but I had been assigned to the holding company. So I got a chance to kind of see both sides of the equation. And I quickly realized that these guys, these guys are sharp cookies, man. And all of them were, you know, incredible pedigree as far as, you know, their education, their background was non-traditional, but all of them came from areas that had been, you know, highly intellectual, highly uh, competitive in their thinking. So I, I, I quickly grasped all on that this is going to be doggy dog and the, the competitive forces will ultimately win. I was a big fan of Michael Porter's competitive strategy, you know, stuff. And I, I and when you look at the four quadrants and who's going to be, you know, the cash cow versus the, this guy versus, I realized that these innovation was going to win. And the ability to innovate, not just in your product, obviously, but how you innovate in your markets. So an innovative regulatory strategy, an innovative, you know, what I would call investing strategy, Part of the initial challenge was stick to your you know, core knitting. FPL had done really stupid things in the 80s. They had bought an insurance company. They had gotten into all these crazy things that you know were totally out of the box. Like we, we had bought into cable TV. And then the, the CEO that came in in 1990 came in and basically dismantled all that, sold everything off and said, we're going to get back to our core base. You know, and that that became the genesis of the whole next era FPL, where we we're going to be generation, we we're going to be transmission, we we're going to be distribution. In Florida, you're going to be, you're going to do it as a vertically integrated utility. Outside of Florida, you're going to basically be companies that in essence are able to capitalize based on your financial integrity. You're going to be able to capitalize on the markets and what's available through their because at that time, what was driving a lot of the utilities was the whole incentive to create green energy. And we started with the winds and windmills. And then when the windmills uh, started to really take off all over, you know, it's like a funnel that goes from Texas all the way to Canada, right? Right up the plains. And then it's starting to invest in the whole solar piece and driving the scale, you know, because we knew the Chinese were going to be building a tremendous amount of products through panels, which is a commodity. So that led to, you know, driving down the cost of this stuff. So today it's, you know, very competitive. So brilliant thinking. And it was very humbling for the people in the utility to say, wow, because back then it was like a very territorial area. You know, these guys don't know anything. You quickly realize these guys are a lot smarter <laughs> than because they they think differently. They They see opportunities where others see threats. And I think for me, it allowed me to, you know, really appreciate that thinking is to to look at things a little differently and open minded. You're a uh, former chairman of the Florida Solar Energy Center. And obviously, as you alluded to, again, you've been a you know, you've watched solar in Florida from uh, really kind of its infantile stages. What's kind of the feeling right now? Because I almost feel like, you know, look, obviously, Texas and California seem to get a lot of the love. But, uh, you know, Florida gets its due, but I don't know that it gets enough due for what it's doing in the solar space. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't checked the numbers, Fred, but I can tell you FPL is building <laughs> billions of dollars of solar farms in the state. So I think the if you take a look at how many, a lot of people see solar differently. So I, I always saw it as megawatts, right? So if you look at the amount of megawatts being built in the state, it's insane. It's probably going to be built in California. 
So yeah, you're right. I don't know why it hasn't gotten the love that it's getting, but I can tell you there was a time when the issue for us was we we had to keep costs down to the consumer. There was a lot of fixed income population in Florida. So for you to drive the cost of fixed income people to retire easier was not smart and it and is not prudent. And then when we began to see that, you know, we could drive by by being fairly innovative in how we do the supply chain, how we purchase everything. We, we could drive the cost of solar to a competitive rate. Then you knew it was going to take off. Because then we already had a lot of, we had a lot of megawatts already in nuclear. We had a lot of megawatts in gas. But to truly now differentiate and diversify the portfolio was something that wasn't going to add cost to the consumer. Heck, then it's, it's a no-brainer. You know, that's when it takes off. And you've seen it take off. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I should have asked FPO how many megawatts of solar they have, but I can tell you it's now gigawatts as opposed to megawatts. Well, and look, I mean, solar is showing its worth in spades. I mean, uh, a gentleman who's uh, on your advisory board, Mr. Sid Kitson, who uh, I'm excited to announce that uh, I'll be he's going to be on the show here in a couple of weeks uh, (laughs) and his Babcock Ranch, which, uh, you know, got all kinds of love after after Hurricane Ian because it didn't miss a beat power wise. Right. I mean, and Mm -hmm. and as devastating as Hurricane Ian was, and I guess I got to ask first and foremost, is the Martinez clan okay after Hurricane Ian? Well, hit me with that again. I said, is the Martinez clan okay after Hurricane Ian? Oh, yeah, yeah. Thank you. We're on the East Coast, so we're we're good. I okay. mean, uh, listen, I worked every hurricane since 1980, so I, yes, my heart feels for all the people impacted. I've seen a lot of devastation over so many years, and I, st- I still work. I'm, I'm still a contractor then when they need me, so okay. I appreciate, you know, what it, that adrenaline rush of getting customers back on, but, but uh, you know, for those people that have never been through it. They really can't understand the stress and the the hardship that comes with a hurricane. It's brutal. No, it certainly is. And like I said, obviously being here in Houston, uh, we're all too familiar with it as well. Because sometimes it's the you know it's the it's the rain that doesn't stop afterwards as well. That uh, and that was certainly the case with a lot of us here in Harvey. So you retire uh, back in 2016. What was it about the the Aces program that you decided? All right, let's let's make this thing a go. I've always had a just a, a real passion, not just for the sports aspect, but really for the for the athlete, right? I, I've always loved youth sports and being able to contribute. I've always coached and all that. But I uh, I got challenged, candidly, Fred. I got challenged by my daughter. And uh, I don't Daughters think, have a way of doing that, don't they? Right? I mean, you know, <laughs> you're kind of minding your own business. Life is good. You know, you're you got a nice job at FPL. Like, you know, it's a, you you're you're doing well. And uh, all of a sudden, it's, you know, this thing called critical thinking, right, steps up and you're like, gee, many crickets, you know, 35 years. I don't want to be that guy that works till he's 65, never has a hobby or whatever. And, and she started saying, Dad, what's next? What's next? And then the whole issue, then she delivered twins. And she's like, Dad, what are we going to do? Who's going to be the role models to these kids? You know, we had all these, you know, we had a plethora of ideas coming through saying, yeah, let's go, let's go do something. Let's, let's rock this world here. And, uh, but you know, you don't just leave a salary and go overnight to saying, you know, <laughs> so we, it was like a, a really interesting transition. And um, it was a very soft landing for me because, you know, I consulted for FPL a couple of years after I left. So that helped a lot, but it's, I'm a big fan of giving back. I'm a big fan. You know, I'm a very, I've always considered myself to be extremely blessed. And I was blessed to have great parents. I was blessed to have 
you know, the opportunity to to accomplish good things in in, the, in working space and and the opportunity to to play sports and there's a lot of kids that don't have that opportunity. So it was time to say, you know, how can we make it better? How can we make it better for this generation? And one thing led to another. We started off with a very small scale. And, you know, we did, we we hosted like 30, 32 kids from different areas in, in the Palm Beach County area. And I just fell in love with the whole concept. And I mean, as soon as that meet that that class was over, I'm like, crazy, we gotta, we gotta double this and then we gotta triple this. And and it's funny because at that time we had a board that was nowhere near what this it was kind of a small community board. We didn't know what we were really getting into. So I remember meeting with these individuals and they're like, We don't think you should grow. You should stay at 30 and then, you know, let's continue to refine it. So I fired every one of them. <laughs> Good for you. Right. And it was like, your job is not to tell me what not to grow. Your do. job exactly. is to help me do what we need to do, which yeah. is expand this all over the place. So you now see the type of board that uh, that we have, which is extremely powerful. And that, you know, the relationships that we've been able to build with the FPLs, the Bank of Americas and all that, you know, that has allowed us to then truly grow. I mean, the, the Tri-County area here is a, is a real challenge. I mean, it's navigating the Houston traffic, the Dallas, the Metroplex is a challenge. Navigating South Florida is a beast too because yeah. it's it, it's hard. When people say, oh, well, you know, Miami and, and Palm Beach, you guys are only 75 miles apart. I'm like, you don't understand that in Miami to travel five miles from one destiny to another destination takes you possibly an hour. So oh, I believe it. I right? believe it. <laughs> oh my God. So it's when people say, well, how come you only have 20 schools in Miami you're working with, not 30? I said, you know, you don't realize that the, the southern tip of Miami versus the northern tip, <laughs> it takes me basically an hour and 45 minutes to navigate through the day. So how are we going to get kids to be able to get on a bus and be able to do that? So we've been having to compartmentalize a lot of this territory. And uh so that's why, you know, growth is is a challenge. But I think what what hurt us a lot was obviously COVID. I mean, COVID kind of set us back and the, the schools were shut down. And and now we're, you know, we're going back into it. And um, a lot of the folks that we had relationships with in all these high schools have been moved around. And I don't know about Houston, but down here in South Florida, it's like, gee, just when you get a principal that's starting to make an impact at a school, bang, they transfer them. You poach somewhere poach else. Is, yeah, we have a huge turnover in our high school coaches. They, you know, they don't pay well. And a lot of our coaches were leaving for Georgia. So we, we've we've had a lot of, unfortunately, the good ones, the ones that really care about the kids, we've lost a lot of them. So we had to restart, rebuild a lot of relationships. So it's it's work in progress, work in progress. It's hard. And, and, and I get it. I get it. Just the security aspects are, are challenging when you're bringing a third party into a school. No matter how much you vet that individual, you, you yes. know, schools are on high alert. Man. I mean, we're living in these crazy times when on any given day, you know, somebody goes into a school and cre- creates these horrific acts. So we get it. And and unfortunately, too, is that a lot of these a lot of these kids, I mean, they don't you don't have a set time. You know, you can't say I show up at three or at five or at seven. I mean, every kid has different requirements. They're involved in many different activities. The sports take up a lot of time. A lot of the kids we deal with are coming from broken families. So 
the simple things that we take for granted as, oh, you know, transportation. Well, a lot of a lot of the kids we deal with don't have aspect. You know, we we deal in, in certain communities that don't even have Ubers or taxis. Right. So those are real challenges for us to get the kids to be able to 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 be transported to the right places. So for the folks at home, uh, what exactly does the ACE program do? That's always the the thing that you try to bring to life, right? Because we say, well, you know, it's easy. We we inspire and develop student athletes to become men and women of honor, character, integrity. Okay, what does that mean? So the student aces program, in a nutshell, truly focuses on bringing those traits and values to a kid's life. So things like how to command respect, right? So you see a lot of these athletes on TV talking about they didn't respect me, they don't respect me, well, we tell our kids, nobody, you don't need to, nobody's going to respect you. You got to earn it. So the ability to truly understand how to command respect, what does that mean? You know, how do you, how do you win the hearts and minds of those that follow you as a captain? Well, things like judgment, things like wisdom, things like, you know, integrity, things like courage, when you make the tough decisions, because you stand up for what is right, not what is popular, that, that makes a kid a captain, but it puts them in a very lonely, isolated place. Because today, you know, it's very challenging for a kid to make a tough decision. They are grilled. They are basically obliterated on social media. It is so bad because every coward can hide behind a social media and blast kids uh, ruthfully. Yet, and nobody knows who these kids are, right? So then earning trust. How do you earn trust? It's a 365, 24-7 thing. I mean, you can spend a whole life earning it and then one nanosecond to lose it. And did you lose it because of your action or because something somebody posted something that is truly erroneous and, and spiteful on social media? And then we talk about the only thing you can control in life, you know, is your attitude. So bringing that winning attitude, that positive attitude. So when things happen, you know, we call it, you know, life happens at 10%. 90% is how you respond to it. And I think Lou Holtz used to talk about that a lot, you know, dealing with that adversity and oh me, oh my, I had an ACL. Okay, great. So what are you going to do about it? So now you got to train, you got to work hard, you got to overcome that. I failed a test. Well, let's go, you know, study harder. So that's the whole attitude piece. We talk about uh, sacrifice a lot, Fred. So, you know, a lot of kids are used to, oh, well, I got to study harder, work harder. No, we're talking about sacrifices, not just for you, but the team. So what that means is we draw a little circle and you're the circle. So when you're not in a leadership position, your whole world evolves around that circle. It's you. And then as you assume a leadership position, you become very small. The circle becomes a lot bigger, but you become very small. So your whole focus has to be the team now. So you're dedicating selfless sacrifice to making the team better. People are calling you because you're the captain every other day. Hey, you know, I need this. I need that. The coach is not fair. This and that. My parents are having issues. So everybody's dumping on this captain. And the captain has, you know, typically the workload, the school issues. They got their own parental issues or social issues. So that whole sacrifice piece is very interesting for them to try to understand. And most of the kids that are captains, nobody's explained to them what that means. What are the roles and responsibility? What are the traits and, and qualities expected of them? And then the, the fifth thing we talk a lot about is work ethic. And we try to bring that to light. You know, we say every kid sitting around the world wants what you have. They want that American dream. That means they want they want to take your spot in whatever that is. Well, just like the kid on the team wants to take your spot if you're starting they're not going to sit back and just let you say, oh, well, he's he's Fred Davis. He should be a starter. No, they're going to try to beat you out. 
So we call it work ethic second to none, which is a coin that we phrase that you need to outwork everyone, whether it's in the classroom, whether it's in, on the field, whether it's, you know, aspiring to get the job that you want. And I'm always I'm always pushing athletes because, hey, what why why are you so competitive on the field? But yet you choose to let other people destroy you in the classroom. You choose to get a C and let everybody get an A. If you're that truly competitive, then you should be aspiring to get those A's too. Mm -hmm. But you're telling me you're not really competitive. You don't really care about competition, only when it applies to your sport. So that's not a true competitor. And they get so upset. But the reality is, is teaching them to compete in life, not just, you know, on the field. So it's okay for me not to show up and, and, and fail. Well, you're, let, you're letting your team down. You're, you're not competing because you're letting yourself down. You're letting yourself, your family down because now your chances of getting a scholarship are been diminished. So it's, it's that whole work ethic second and none piece. And we, we push on that a lot. And, and then the last one we talk a lot about, Fred, is, is really doing the right thing. Whether it's ethics and morality, whether it's integrity, call it what you want, but it's easy to do the right thing when everyone's looking, right? So if you're on the ball field and something happens, you go and, you know, it's easy. I did the right thing. Everybody's looking at me. But when nobody's looking, a kid gets hurt. Yeah, you got a kid that got hurt, but you're on their way home. You don't want to get involved because you have homework or someone calls you and they need a ride after hours because something happened. Do you go out of your way for another 45 minutes to help? When a friend of yours is calling because they got they got into trouble, they did something reckless or their parents are going through a tough time, do you pick up the phone and help them through it? What are those things that allow you to truly differentiate yourself as a leader? So we 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 talk a lot about that doing the right thing thing. And uh, so those are those are the core values, I guess, of the ACE program. And then we break it into different programmatic things. Like one is our our flagship program where we have kids from Palm Beach meet once a month. So it's the same kids. They miss a day of school. And we we basically uh, dedicate a whole day to one of these values. The classes are very small on lecture and very large on case studies, interactions, team building. So you really see... We, you really see what kids are missing today, which is that interaction. So there's no cell phones allowed. There's no 30-minute lectures. The lectures are basically five minutes or less just to introduce them to the concept. And then the concept, say, respect, that's put into the case study. So they're actually working through it without really recognizing what it is. And then the aha moment comes when you say, oh, by the way, you know, that was a whole issue of trust and respect. They get it. These, these are not, you know, these kids are smart. And then the other one is working with them individually on their teams where we actually go to the high schools. Uh, and that's fun. Uh, my my favorite thing is the captain summits because we bring in kids that are so-called captains of each of their schools. And then we bring them into a one-day uh, training session. So it's the roles and responsibilities of a captain, traits and qualities of a captain, what's the image that a captain should exude. So it's basically theoretically leaders among leaders. And they have to solve cases. And you see the the ones that are standout. And we've had some really, you know, not that I'm big into guest speakers, but sometimes we bring in, you know, I, I brought a guy who was a fighter pilot, really cool situation. I brought a guy who was the first guy in Fallujah chasing bin Laden. I brought in, you know, athletes and CEOs and stuff. So they get a chance to see, you know, when you read it in the news that there's a guy named bin Laden and there's some military guy. No, this is here. He's here right now. 
What's Question. the is there a selection process? Like how do oh, how do kids yeah. uh, get to be a part of the ACES program? Yeah, so that's been a transition for us. So initially it was the school selected them because we don't know these kids, right. right? So the school selected them, and we quickly realized they were selecting the wrong kids. So they were sending me the the kid that plays sports. He's this, he's that, or she's this or that. They're a member of the honor club, dean's list, and we said, you know, this is not what Aces is. What? So what we wanted was the kids that had a heart to serve, the kids that truly want to be leaders. I don't care if you are getting a 2.2 unless, unless, you know, you're not trying. But if you're if you are giving it all you got and you're busting it every day and you're trying your hardest and you get a 2.2, I want that kid. Yeah. It's the right kid. But you know, keeping in mind that a lot of our kids, right? I mean, we we've had Fred, we we had one kid who was one of our champions at the end of the year, we recognize kids for being champions of character. And then we have an award for courage. One of our kids who won the courage award, the whole family has been homeless forever. No dad. They lived in a car and he had seven siblings and he would give up his seat in the car for his younger siblings to sleep. That kid became our champion of character. I mean, of character and courage. We've had kids where, you know, the father shot the, the, the wife at two years of age. And this kid became a, a star quarterback. Now he's playing at University of North Carolina Central. I mean, I love this kid. I go, he spends Christmas with us. It's Thanksgiving. I go to his games. These, these are the kids that just win your heart. So, so they initially get selected by the school. And then what we realized was that the best selection was the kids themselves. Mm -hmm. So they, de they decided that the most important thing was legacy. They didn't, and it wasn't about selecting their friends. As a matter of fact, they were, they didn't, they were selecting kids that they thought would be able to carry the legacy of the ACE program that they started. So it became very pride. So a lot of, a lot of it is now where the kids will say, coach, these are the kids that I think should be in the program. And then the next evolution is some of the, some of the schools have created what we call the ACE leadership club. So since we can only take so many kids per school into our program, what they've done is they've created a club at their high school, which in essence, you know, in a baseball analogy, it's the farm system. Okay. So they have kids that are freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and they're, you know, and they, they it's led by the students, the seniors, and it's teaching them the value. So by the time they get through that, then the seniors say, these are the kids that then should come into the program. So it's really neat. And it goes back to, again, you know, having that self-directed, self-led team of kids. So I'd be remiss if I didn't ask. And, of course, uh, our girl Jamie teed us up on this prior to uh, getting getting this going. And, of course, as always, shout out to Miss Jamie Levin. Uh, <laughs> I got to believe that there is some sort of cross-pollination between your love for energy and obviously you're very well-versed in the space and, and the ACES program. Tell us a little bit about, you know, how are you guys helping try to, you know, whether it's placing kids or kind of giving them the, the tools to understand what energy is. Because, again, a lot of these kids, maybe they don't, like you said, I mean, obviously kids that are struggling just to get through day-to-day -day life certainly aren't thinking about where their power is coming from. How, is, uh, how, how have you been able to work those two together? Yeah, so when uh, we we were blessed enough to have Bank of America donate a building to us in Belle Glade, which is that area that I told you is very, you know, very depressed. And it's 1.6 acres of a building, a parking lot, yada, yada. But in the back, I have retention that I can't use for anything. They won't let me build, so I'm kind of landlocked. So I said, what the heck? 
I, I built 18 kilowatts of solar on the back and that'll help power the building, help me because I was spending 500 bucks a month on energy, right? So when we were doing that, I was like, you know, called FPL. I said, what a concept. You guys are going to be building solar farms all over the state. You need, you desperately need people. And they love the idea. They love the concept. So FPL does not self-perform. They hire different companies to do all their, you know, turnkey construction, Moss Construction, OCI, which is Black and Beach and others, right? Big, powerful company. So we started doing kind of a cool concept of, of these workshops where we, the workshops were based on character. And then we would, we would bring in, integrate, you know, what's the, what's the company looking for? What's the employer looking for? What does employment look like? So then we had kids that we, you know, we knew college wasn't for them, or we had kids that, you know, had gone to the JUCO model and that didn't work out, came back. So we felt like, man, it's not a job because when you talk to kids about a job out there, they're like, oh, well, it's McDonald's that no, this is a career. Yeah. So we were able to place a number of these kids into these projects. These projects, for the most part, last nine months, and then they go on to the next one. They're building 10 years worth of these projects. So we had two angles. One were the kids that uh, had proven themselves in leadership. So they had played at college and excelled in college. Not necessarily that they were the best player, but they they were captains. They were leaders on the field, they maintain a good GPA, yada, yada. So these kids, we recommended to FPL. So FPL hires them as 1099s and contractors. They oversee the contractors. And they get, Fred, they get paid a lot of money. <laughs> they get paid a lot of money and they get per diems. And then the kids that didn't have that, they go in and they start uh, under the contractors as installers. So they learned, you know, they learned it inside out. So it's a civil work, mechanical, electrical, and then supply chain. So they get trained in every aspect of that job. Ultimately, they become leaders in each of their sites. We have not announced it yet, but it's going to be really cool. We, OCI, which is a subsidiary of Black & Beach, one of the largest construction companies in the country, they have asked me uh, to recommend, they we're putting together an apprentice program Oh, wow. Which is actually going to become very cool. So kids will be that. And now they're putting together an internship program. So I've got kids like a young man that if you look up, his name is Davius Richard. So Davius, affectionately known as Pee Wee, he's 6'3", 225 pounds. But so Pee Wee is a star quarterback at UNCC. So they're, they've offered him a internship. So he's in Durham. So he can stay in North Carolina the whole summer interning with uh, OCI, which will lead to a career in energy for OCI. So we've got about, I've got four kids. I, I used to call them my triplets. Now I don't know what they're called, quadruplets or whatever, but they, they're all playing at these historically black colleges, excelling, not only on the uh, athletic field, they're excelling in life and in yeah. the classroom. So these kids will be able to go right into management with companies like OCI and others. So it's, I'm really excited about that because these are kids that were, under the most adverse conditions, two of those kids are the ones I talked to you about earlier about, you know, the the homeless issue and the yeah. one shop. Those two of those are. So how do these kids under those adverse conditions become these amazing young men and true leaders? And it's and it's very humbling. I mean, I, I don't I don't get it, but I'm, I'm blown away by them. Uh, it just, you know, and, you know, you work you you. You get to meet our kids and work with some of our kids, you totally fall in love with them. And uh, well, I mean, look, I get it just from talking. I mean, look, man, I I, I had a uh, rather checkered childhood myself, uh, spending time in group homes and and uh, shelters and what have you. So I, I certainly 
look, for some of these kids, you just want someone to give you some attention and show them that you love them. And mm -hmm. that's, I can tell just from listening to this conversation that you and I have had over the last 45, 50 minutes, that that certainly comes through in, in droves. So my, my hat goes off to, the, the, you're doing the Lord's work, my friend. So uh, keep up the good work on that front. Uh, you're also a look, man. I mean, I, I don't know when you have time for all this. So I, I, again, shout out to Jamie and you guys for carving out an hour of your day. Uh, so when you're not, you know, molding the future of, of this country for crying out loud and, and giving us clean energy that we can all feel good about, you're also writing books. Uh, you're prolific in that sense as well. You've now written seven books with the most recent one being your winning formula, discovering the champion within you, uh, which, uh, word on the street is, uh, our boy, Romeo Crennel who, uh, God bless Romeo Cornell. Uh, look, the guy spent, what, 45 years in the NFL, never got a fair shake from a head coaching standpoint. I mean, it seems like every time they gave him a head coaching job, the team sucked. And uh, I say that because I was a Chiefs fan, and, of course, uh, you know, the team that he had was god-awful. No, you know, and again, he was doing, doing the best with what God gave him is one of his former players and one of my former co-hosts, Ted Johnson, likes to say. Uh, mm. But, he's a look, he's a leader of men. Secondary might be a little questionable, but when it comes to front sevens, the guy's as good as anybody. Um, he's also on your board as well. Um, hey, your boy Rick Ankeel on that board as well. I mean, again, a who's who of, of, of sports folks uh, on, that, on that group. What is it about writing books that is so, means so much to you? And tell us a little bit about what this, this most recent book is about. Well... I got to tell you, I got to tell you, Fred. And I apologize um, for that rant. If you couldn't tell, I did a little sports I, radio back in my day. So I, I'm not very good at English, for God's sake. But <laughs> you don't need but, to be in 2022. It's OK. Right? 140 characters. Yeah. You're good. It's one of those things that, you know, you go back to part of the early conversation, you know, is are we going national or not? Right. So you you realize that your time is limited on this great planet and the amount of kids in this in this universe is huge so how in god's name are you going to reach all these kids so i felt that i'm not trying to reach every kid but what i am trying to do is all the teachings that we're offering our limited number of kids if we can make that available to every kid at least i feel good about it right whether they they get or not at least we're putting it out there so at least i feel like i'm trying to do my best to have all these teachings being laid out and then whether they read or not, it's, you know, one of my, I always tell people, one of my greatest disappointments is that people don't read anymore. I, I love to read. I love to read a good book. And, and yet people, they're, they expect to get a leadership doctorate by reading a couple of tweets every day. Right. <laughs> and then it's like, come on, man, you got to dive deep. You got to, you got to research the stuff you got to understand. So a lot of the a lot of the teachings of the books are really just about that whole issue of character, you know, being the best version of yourself, going out and inspiring people. And I, I don't get enamored by the athletic accomplishments of athletes. I, I really get enamored by the character of the individual. Mm -hmm. And that's what led me to people like Ankeel, Paul Maneri, Romeo. These are incredible men. And when you, when you get to meet Romeo, you realize that he is who he is. I mean, he is a coach at heart and he, he, he lives it, breathes it. And he's a coach. But when you begin to understand his teachings and his philosophy, it's about making you a better person. Not necessarily. I mean, obviously he's getting paid to make you a winner on the field, but it's about being beyond the athletic field. Mm -hmm. And then when you see some of the praise heaped on him by people like Bill Belichick, you're like, wow, 
for Belichick to say that he is the coach that he most respected over his illustrious career, that, that's amazing. Well, Paul Maneri, I mean, I got to brag about Paul. Paul, he's a hometown kid. I played high school with Paul. You know, he goes on to, you know, Air Force Academy was a coach. Then he went on to Notre Dame ends up at LSU being one of the winningest coaches in, you know, NCAA history. What separates Paul from many is the quality of the individuals. So when you see all of his assistants that have come out and are now coaching, and some of them are coaching in the NCAA World Series last year. So yeah. it's like, it truly tells you the quality that, and I'm going to, I know you're a Chiefs fan. Absolutely, I am. So, but respect my quote. So the great Tom Landry. Okay. Um, once said that he was asked how he measures greatness. And he said, I measure the greatness of a coach by the number of assistants that I get to become head coaches somewhere else. Look at my boy, Andy Reid. Andy Reid. So his whole philosophy was about inspiring other men and, and players to be the best version. So if his whole servant leadership mentality was, my job is to make assist my assistants head coaches somewhere else. And then obviously I have to compete against them, but it is what it is. And when you look at who he had, he had like eight coaches, Ditka and Gene Stallings and a bunch of these guys did. I mean, what was the other? He had like eight or nine of these guys became head coaches in other places. I mean, it was amazing. So that was kind of the philosophy that really inspires me about, you know, yeah, coaches. Thank you so much for that, Mr. Buck Martinez. You can catch all of the Power Connect episodes over at... Apple Podcast, Spotify, and of course over on the website as well, thepowerconnect.net. We've got Mr. Harold Overholm coming up this week, the godfather, that's my nickname for him, not his, uh, my words, not his, of PPAs and VPPAs over in Europe. Great conversation we had with him, so stay tuned for that. That's going to go down on uh, Black Friday. Uh, Sid Kitson from Kitson and Partners, he's going to be joining us. We've also got Kevin Cushman from Electrata, Brad Wills from Schneider Electric, so we've got a lot of great episodes coming up that we've been sitting in the hopper with, and of course we're going to get these out to you in the next week, week and a half, so stay tuned for that. And of course we've got some brand new episodes that we're working on as well, so definitely stay tuned for all of that. If you want to know more about the show if you want to be a part of the program give us a shout reach out to us fred davis on linkedin the power connect on linkedin and of course you can also reach out to us via email fred at thepowerconnect.net fred at thepowerconnect.net once again everybody have a wonderful safe healthy thanksgiving holiday with your family eat lots of food take good naps be careful Watch plenty of good football out there. That's what the day's all about. So I w- hope everybody has an absolutely wonderful Thursday, and then everybody be safe on Black Friday as well. It's getting crazy out there, boys and girls, so make sure you keep your head on a swivel. And just, you know what, let's just be nice to people for once in a while. This has been the Power Connect Podcast, connecting the energy transition one conversation at a time. Wake up, all the builders, time to build a new land. I know we could do it if we all lend a hand. The only thing we have to do.